Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the amazing Naomi Alderman. This is a replay episode from 2018 and I got to interview her. I love this episode so much, so really excited to put it out again as a replay. She's the multi-award-winning novelist of Disobedience and The Power. The film adaptation of Disobedience had just come out in the cinemas when I'd interviewed her, so we were very excited about that. And it was starring both Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weiss and it was out and it was very exciting. The Power is also an incredible book that you have to read if you haven't already by Naomi Alderman. It's actually one of Obama's favourite books. It's an incredible sci-fi dystopian novel about gendered violence and the fetishization of power. The premise of the book is that women are more powerful than men, God becomes she, and men are frightened to walk alone at night. We discuss life as a polymath, what it's like having Rachel Weisz ring you up and want to turn your book into a film, and how to know whether something is a good or bad idea and whether it needs to be continued on or scrapped but we talk about so much and I love this episode so thank you again to Naomi and I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a joy. Shall we tell people where we are? Yeah I think we need to paint a picture of the room first don't we? So we're in an upstairs room at the Everyman Cinema in Hampstead where I'm about to do a QA. and a We are in a really strange slightly chilly slightly like the air is a bit damp room. Uh, It looks like at one point it was somebody's bedroom. There's a very old-fashioned Victorian fireplace. There's a poster of Chinatown above the fireplace. And above that, really to set the mood, a poster from The Shining. (laughs) We're surrounded by boxes which look like they've got um, like, like plates and so on in them but it could be body parts we just don't know we just don't know unlampshaded bulb <laughs> hanging over a beam <laughs> and it really does feel like this is where you come to get murdered yeah, so I, are you I, planning I, to murder me We were, and the door is shut and um, <laughs> I, I mean, we said on the way up, I was like, I, I won't murder you. You won't murder me. We'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be it fine. It looks like there's some sort of pet food down there as well. Yeah. But, right. Naomi, I'm going to have to start with the most cliched question. And I'm really sorry. But can, can I just ask you a little bit about how you get these amazing ideas down on paper? Because I read somewhere that you once scrapped 200,000 words of writing. I did. That was for the power. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like a it's like a ghost story a horror story for writers I should be telling it around a campfire with a torch under my chin going once upon a time I had 2,000 word, 200,000 word first draft and I threw it all out uh, it was yeah I wrote a first draft of the power it wasn't working sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and go I want this to be really good and I think if I just keep on tinkering it will take me much longer than if I just start again and so I started again that is amazing. Do you think, though, that the power, because can I just say the power is one of my favorite books? It was the book of the year last year. Everyone was reading it. It was absolutely everywhere. Do you think that the book was maybe as good as it was because you had almost like a weird practice run? Yeah, I do. I mean, I see, I, I read somewhere when I was a child that William Golding had done, had like written and then thrown out Lord of the Flies seven times. And I remember thinking about that as a child, going, oh, wow, that's impressive. But on the other hand, that's how it gets good, is being willing to put the work in. So, yeah, I think in some way, because the power is about imagining the world, everything, every aspect of the world to be different, 
I needed the run where I was just imagining the world and the characters weren't quite right and the story wasn't quite right, but I was just digging myself into the world. It's almost mm-hmm. like I was able to kind of level the ground and clear all the brush and then go, okay, now I know what the terrain is and I can build on that terrain. Good. Wow. I, I know the qualities of the soil. I know all of that. So yeah, I think you've got to be a bit brave. If it's not working, it's not working. And um, you know, you'll always, you can always do it again. Like okay. this is, this is really good advice. If ever you like lose a draft because your autosave didn't work or something, just write it again as quickly as you can. And even if you find the original one, you will find that the second one is better. Because mm, yeah. you're kind of scraping away all of the fluff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because wow. yeah. you always hear people say with novels, like you only, the novel is the tip of the iceberg and the novelist has, has done all of the yeah. under the sea bit. And that sounds, oh, it's an incredible book. Um, I also read that you work on your fiction in one part of the day and you obviously are a game designer as well as many other things. I am. Do you split your day out like that still? Um, I haven't been doing for the past few months because we've been working on like early version or like early work on what is eventually I hope going to be the TV series of The Power. So I have been quite full on on that for a while now. Uh, But I am getting the novel hankering back and novels I find are lovely in that part of the morning just after you've woken up before the world has really encroached. If I can, I like to try to start working on a novel or on my novel that I'm working on before I've looked at my email, before I've like suddenly had all that kind of of thoughts in my head. And then games and indeed TV are like a very collaborative. So you have other people's voices in your head anyway. So they're really good for for me for like after lunchtime, you know, sit in bed, start writing the book. Um, if I'm working on a novel, I try to write a hundred words in bed before I get out of bed. Ooh. And then I've like cracked the seal on it for the day. And then yeah. it, there it is. And then if I do 800 words by like midday, then I just don't think about it for the rest of the day. And then the next day it's sort of there again, just like um, a sort of bowl that's slowly filling up with dripping water and you just tip it out once a day and then you've got the same mat there again next day. I love that. What a lovely way to start the day oh, with, with fictional characters. Yeah. Well, they're, they're often better than real people. <laughs> <laughs> I I recently wrote a book called The Multi-Hyphen Method, which is about doing many different things and being a multi-hyphenate because oh. I wanted to just celebrate. I don't being know this a, book. Being, I should read this book immediately. I need to send it to you. But yeah. I because I saw that you had been described maybe in The Guardian or or, or some somewhere as a polymath yeah. because you are a broadcaster, you're a novelist, you're a, you work for radio, BBC Radio 4, you're, oh, yeah. you work in games. I am. I'm a professor. And you're a professor. I'm a professor of creative writing at Bath Spa University. Um, I present science programs for Radio 4. Basically, every time something has happened across my path that sounded interesting, I'm like a magpie for sort of shiny things and just go, oh, yes, I'll do that. And my theory is that it all helps the books. And they all feed in together. Yeah, yeah. My theory is that if you have expertise in several different worlds, as a novelist, that's really helpful. Um, And certainly my early career, I spent in quite a boring job. My first five years of my career, I was working in a law firm, which is like, I know that people get kind of procedural drum, but mostly working in a law firm is not like Mm. exciting cases like in The Good Wife. (laughs) And I never had that kind of early part of my life where I went off and did crazy jobs, you know, like shark wrestling in Australia and carving my own shoes in Outer Mongolia. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I was I was fairly boring until my mid twenties, and so I think I'm now I'm just sort of going. Oh yes, I must kind of fill in and make sure that I've got lots of stuff coming in. Um, I'm also doing a degree in classics in my spare time. Wow, I I love it. I mean. Also, if you're a freelancer, it's very comforting to have biodiversity in your income stream. Mm -hmm. So even if one sector just completely goes down, if you're working in, you know, novels and not necessarily like, I mean, God knows the power has done extremely well and I'm very thrilled. Um, But novels are not necessarily a medium that is growing year on year as opposed to video games, which really are. And so I might as well have a think about this and say, okay, is there a way that I can use my creativity both in this thing that I have been drawn to since I was a tiny child and also in this thing which I'm really fascinated by and is brand new and is has a huge growing market? I mean, I think yeah. my first degree is in uh, politics, philosophy and economics, and it is tremendously useful as a creative person to have some understanding about how economics works. And it's like, it's not your fault that you're... In an, in an area of, of, of the economic world the where maybe publishers' profits are shrinking or something like that. But also, you've got to have a think about it and yeah. how that's going to affect your life. So, God, the um, budget's for gaming. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and the amount of actors and actresses and, and big names who, who put their voices to characters. Yeah. And it's incredible. And like the game that I make, um, the game that I and my business partner, Adrian Hon, uh, he runs a small games company called Six to Start. And we came up with the idea for this game together, Zombies Run, which is a fitness game. Oh my God, that's yours. Yeah, it's mine. Are you kidding? <laughs> I love that game. That is one of my favorite ways to do some exercise. Well, there you go. I don't know. I have a lot of ideas. And once in a while you get one where you're like, oh, I think that one's a good one. That's That's my major skill is like having a good idea. And then, you know, to find good ways to follow through on the ones like this. This is a very kind of deep subject is how you decide which of your ideas you're going to take and run with and yeah. which ones you're going to go. That's lovely. But I think it should be something small mm. or I think I should give that one to somebody else or. And back to the fact that you you, you knew to scrap the first draft of yeah. one of your books. Yeah. How do you know then? That is a really interesting question. I think there's something about, well, one one thing that's quite useful is I know that some writers don't like to talk about their ideas, but I do like to talk mm. about my ideas in certain circumstances and particularly not necessarily with other writers, but with people who read books or with people who play games. There's a little thing where you can just go, oh, I'm working on a book and it's about this. And when you get to the point that you can sum it up in a sentence or two, then you just see if people go, ooh, mm. or if they go, ah. And Interesting. <laughs> and it's quite useful to, to know that. So with Zombies Run, we put it on Kickstarter. And we were the highest funded game on Kickstarter in 2011. And I was a freelancer and Adrian's company were making other games. And I think we all had that feeling of this one has really caught people's imagination. Yeah. So we give up other things in order to work on this one. And that's the great thing about the internet is you can kind of you can kind of do a litmus test. Yeah. You can sort of just see first. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. And you can do that. I mean, you can go and have a look as a writer of a long running game like Zombies Run. You can go and have a look and say, oh, which characters are people responding to? I mean, I had a conversation a few years ago with a producer who was the producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she was saying, oh, when they produced it, 
if they wanted to find out which characters were hitting with the audience, they would have to do a focus group. Mm. And now you can just go on Twitter. Do a poll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just like look at a forum for people who like your thing and go, oh, look, this character's hitting. Everyone hates this character. Mm. Kill them yes. with a zombie. And, and I think Netflix are really good at that, aren't they? Yeah. they, look, they do, they're they into their data. Yeah. Um, right. We have to talk about disobedience. Oh, yes. Because we're here at the cinema in this creepy room. <laughs> You're doing a lot of Q&As today and, and speaking to audiences because the film is out today, tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. And what what is that like? Because I've spoken to a lot of authors who get a lot of exciting conversations going. Mm. But Rachel Weiss rang you up? Rachel Weiss rang me up. I was expecting the call. It wasn't like she called and she was like, hello, it's Rachel Weiss. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course it is. Hi, mum, or whatever. Um, But uh, yeah, my agent told me that Rachel Weiss wanted to talk to me. We had had a couple of previous offers to try to make it in try to make disobedience into a movie and it just hasn't happened for whatever reason and that's much the common story mm. um like can't get too excited about tv and yeah, film you just can't get too excited about it what you say what i've tried to say to myself all the way through each of these processes is this bit is fun this bit is interesting i'm learning loads i'm meeting interesting people i'm having a chat with a hollywood actress in my living room so like cool um, and and they really just not counting any chickens until it was all until like literally the day the filming started i remember uh so they started filming in january actually january of last year it's been a while uh which and is quite quick for films now that's true which that is, is weird. true that is true um i didn't know that either uh but so, yeah, they started filming in January and over the Christmas holidays, people were saying to me, oh, come on, though, you definitely know it's going to happen now. And I was like, well, you just never know. Somebody breaks their leg skiing over Christmas and, you know, everybody's schedule falls to pieces and that's that. So, yeah, I've, I have I think I've quite guarded about my like investing in it. But on the other hand, it was a super fun experience. And I mean, people get their novels turned into movies but often they get them turned into shit movies. Mm-hmm. And this is an extremely good movie. So that is... And it's is- actually really refreshing hearing someone who has written an incredible book also say, well done. Because actually, you're right. Sometimes the authors don't really want to do have anything to do with it. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I guess I am... I mean, I think a polymath is what they call you when you do three different things. If you do two different things, people just think you're weird. And then when you, because they're like novels and games. And then when you add in a third, they go, oh, you're a polymath. Okay. So, all right. So perhaps I've got a sense of, I don't know. I'm just interested in everything. I don't think novels are better than films. I don't think that I know how to make a brilliant film in the way that Sebastian Lelio, the director of this film, knows how to make a brilliant film. So it's just a privilege to be able to watch someone kind of in in conversation with your work yeah and and um and in such a beautiful way because you've obviously got these two hollywood actresses rachel mcadams and rachel vice and but they are stripped back yeah and it's i it was like in a way i'd never seen them before yeah no that you you come out going oh they're very good actresses and the, yes they're both very beautiful and they can do comedy and they can do adventure and this is I mean, I think Sebastian is very interested in allowing the actors to show what's going on within them from looking at their faces and Mm -hmm. and the way that they talk and really taking his time over it. I mean, for me, if I may say, it's, it's, it's quite hard to express 
how moving this film is for me mm. because it's about it's not my autobiography it's not my life story but it's certainly about a time in my life when I was questioning the religion that I grew up with and eventually came to the decision that although I have a lot of respect for it in a lot of different ways it wasn't the place for me and I was in a lot of turmoil about this when I wrote the book and um I felt very self-critical and I felt a sense that I didn't know what was going to happen and I, 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 that it might turn out that I was doing a very bad thing and that I might lose my family or my friends or that I might come to really regret it. Mm-hmm. And so to revisit it now, uh, God, it's, it's something like, it sounds, it's unbelievable, but it's about 17 years since I started thinking about this book. I wow. started writing it in the end, towards the end of 2002. So that's, yeah, that's 16 years ago. Um, and that's a lot of life. And now yeah. I can look back at that person that I was and go, oh no, it was all fine. It all, yeah. it all came out fine. It all came out good. The, the way that the movie is constructed is so compassionate. And it is as if to say to that previous version of myself, no, you're going to be okay. It's I, I want to like send it in a little time capsule back and go, it's all right. Yeah, there will be rough days and rough months, but actually this is a good path and you're following your own path and it's not one that anybody else has been down before. So it will be scary and you have to kind of cut away the weeds for yourself. But yeah, don't worry. Mm. It's yeah, it's it's almost indescribable actually. Uh, it it felt like a visit with a former version of myself. Oh, that must have been quite something. I was really interested by something I read. I think it was on the Penguin website and you said um, something really interesting about when you wrote the book, people started saying to you that, oh, maybe it will just be for this specific audience. Maybe it will be for Orthodox Jewish communities to read and maybe even judge. This is a mainstream mass (laughs) media book. It's amazing, isn't it? It it is. But did you you ever believe those people or did you always know that, of course, this will transcend... I had this idea, I had had this idea for a long time, actually, before I wrote the book, that Jewish people in this country tend to feel that we are much more boring than we actually are. And that the Jewish community in Britain, and I write about this in Disobedience, is a very quiet community. We don't really agitate a lot on our own behalves. And I think that has not served us over the years. And particularly not now. I mean, with all the problems that have come up with some anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, this sort of thing, I think we haven't got the kind of strong confidence in our own voice and being able to talk about what our culture means other than just keep our heads down and try not to be noticed. And I had never behaved in that way. And I had always had non-Jewish friends who I explained everything to. I think a lot of Orthodox Jewish people feel like a certain kind of fear or shame about talking about what Orthodox Jewish life is. And they expect that other people from outside the community won't understand and that they will be judged and judged to be weird. And I had never felt that. I had always felt 
this is a really beautiful, interesting thing. And if I explain it to my friends who aren't Jewish, they will understand. And they did always understand. And they if always, anything, you probably want to know more. Yeah. And they always found it really interesting and like, you know, beautiful ideas in there. So there were people in the Jewish community who said the only audience for this will be Jewish people. And I just felt like if it did get published, I felt that was probably not going to be the case. Um, and I, I, yeah, I sort of think and hope that it has given some spine stiffening to other people writing on similar subjects. Mm. Uh, and in fact, I, I know that it has. I know other people have come to talk to me about uh, writers, of, Jewish writers have, have come to say, yeah, that it was meaningful to see that this book was accepted in the mainstream and here we are and it's a Hollywood movie. And um, yeah, we can just stand quite proudly as every culture group can stand quite proudly in your particular heritage and in your particular practices and, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy being part of this wonderful multicultural society that we live in where we can all enjoy each other's. Totally. And what a beautiful thing to get a window into someone else's life. Mm. Isn't that what art is? Yeah. And I love it when I have that experience with someone else's culture. You know, I really want to know about all the different cultures that exist in London in the UK now. I'm I'm a fully committed multiculturalist. Multiculturalist, multi-hyphenate. Yeah. <laughs> All the multis. Um, I wanted to ask you just your thoughts on on the cast, because oh. I know that it's been quite a few years since you wrote the book, but what is that like with writing a novel where you've pictured the characters and then now they're, they're slightly different? Or Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in a certain way, all those characters are aspects of myself as I think is often the case for particularly for first novels. Mm. Um, I was working something out for myself when I was writing that book. And so these questions about should you stay in the community? Should you leave? What If you do leave, what kind of person are you? What kind of person would try to make someone stay? Those, that, so it wasn't really as if I had imagined those characters completely from the outside I saw them from inside so I think there are some amazing performances aren't there Rachel McAdams is an absolute revelation she's incredible she's incredible I just fully believe her in that and and also I mean obviously Rachel Weiss is Jewish and grew up in Hampstead and kind of knows that culture somewhat but Alessandro Nivola like 100% believe him yeah just and his Hebrew is perfect let me tell you wow this was something that I was so horrified by the idea that anybody in this would sound like they didn't know what they were doing and sound like it all was kind of foreign to them. And he sounds just perfect. Oh, that's amazing. And you just totally believe his distress and his almost like wrenching of the self inside himself that there's something in him is being torn to pieces. Did you know my brother is in the film and my dad? And you. And me. And me. <laughs> You've got a cameo, haven't you? I have. I have. I'm... That's, that's lovely. <laughs> did they, did they, was that your idea? Was it? Yeah. I mean, for all that I feared that I would end up like Ronit, completely estranged from everything if I became non-orthodox. Actually, no, as long as you're kind of kind, people don't really estrange you unless they were always horrible people. So uh, yeah, my family were very interested by that. My mum has no interest in the spotlight so I said to her do you want to be in it and she was like no <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my dad said oh yes 
Yes, absolutely. So my dad, I think, spent three or four days on set and there's a couple of different scenes where he's in the background as an extra having a good time. He really enjoyed oh, I himself. Love that. Did they yeah. know what you were going through back back then when you were first writing it or I don't think they did. I think they could tell that I was not happy. And um right certainly writing a book, they knew that there were things that I was writing about that were difficult. And my parents are Orthodox Jews, but they've always been quite intellectually open and willing to question some of the things that happen in the community. So as I think a lot of people in these communities are, it's not a monolith. People are, can see that if you are a parent of a gay child in that community, often your child is going through tremendous suffering. And so, you know, they knew that the things that I was writing about were real issues. And I think they felt nervous. And I think they also felt that... Um, when the book achieved some success, I think they were also relieved to see that I was fine and mm. the book had not suddenly caused me to get death threats or anything of this sort, that actually it's all all right and the, and the community can sort of roll with it and, and everybody goes, okay, yeah, this is pretty much a fair critique and it's loving as well as critical. Mm. Um, so yeah, my, my family, I think we're just intrigued by it. And thought that it might be interesting. And my brother is a singer. So uh, there's a bit where um, the choir arrive to, to to sing at a, at a service at the end of the movie. And uh, David, Alessandro's character, is going through intense emotional turmoil. And somebody does a, a, a man stands up and does a solo as uh, in the choir as he's talking. And that's my brother doing the oh, solo. Oh, that's yeah. your brother. Yeah. It's so nice that bits of you are in the film. Yeah. Because actually that could have not happened. It could have been totally separate, couldn't it? Yeah, I know. I like <laughs> How amazing. It makes me like the film more. Right. I, I keep remembering that bit in um, Californication where uh, David Duchovny's character has written a book called God is Dead and they turn it into a movie called That Crazy Little Thing Called Love. <laughs> and that's, I think, what people expect. So I kind of didn't know, know really what was going to happen, but all the way through I've been surprised and impressed. I think I've had a very lucky time, actually. It couldn't have been better. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I have millions of other questions, but time is ticking and you have an, a Q&A tonight I follow, do. following the film. I think they're downstairs watching the film right now aren't they i think they are um but my i always end with uh, with this question just what are you excited about coming up and it it can be personal it can be professional it can be anything oh my gosh okay i am pretty excited about the fact that it is looking increasingly likely that we are going to do a tv show of the power so that's am i allowed to swear absolutely can. that's an absolute head fuck the idea that not oh, the, the, the idea that a lot of people are going to be involved in bringing these things inside my head out into the world is pretty amazing. Um, that is so exciting. Yeah. I remember when I was reading The Power, because the, the opening of The Power is very, very cinematic. Yeah. I mean, everyone is just going to be so excited for this. I just, it feels like a weird dream. The whole thing, okay, I mean... I, Barack Obama picked it as one of his books of the year and that's a real like Barack Obama was sitting you know reading this book and then you know maybe looking at the front cover and going yeah this is, this is a pretty good read and just it's absolutely mind-blowing having had a very successful novel with the disobedience because it won a lot of awards mm. did was it less 
freeing in, in a way writing the power did you know oh people are going to read this i mean the thing with the power was i'd been mentored by margaret atwood oh during yeah the she's your bezza she is my bezza actually <laughs> I, I do actually love her like um i you know i thought i, I watched um a youtube clip of you two talking and she is just staring at you so lovingly oh well i love her <laughs> Like those things that you can't predict it. You know, I thought, oh, I will have a relationship where I admire her. And of course I do admire her, but I also really love her. And I've been on holidays with her family and she's just, she's fantastic and really, really smart and really funny. And I cannot believe I've been this lucky to be perfectly honest. But so when I was writing Disobedience, when I was writing The Power, um, because I had been mentored by Margaret Atwood, I knew, and the subject matter, I knew people would put it next to The Handmaid's Tale and go, and like I had in my mind this vision of the reviews going, well, it's not as good as The Handmaid's Tale, obviously. So it definitely, that was weighing on me. And I think probably it gave me the confidence to throw out 200,000 words and go, right, I need to know that I have tried my absolute hardest mm. at this because... Yeah, I don't really want it just to be a footnote next to The Handmaid's Tale, but it is going to be definitely at least that. Somebody out there will get a PhD at some point when they're writing, when they're looking around for something they can possibly write about Margaret Atwood. You know, they'll be able to go, well, let's look for the influences of Margaret Atwood in this writer who obviously wrote a very shit book. Um, so, yeah, like that is a motivator to... No, they are they are bought together in the shop as a pair of beautiful books. Well, that is that is the best possible outcome that I could have hoped for, uh, and I did not dare hope that was going to happen at the time. But um, yeah, so in terms of things I'm excited about, I can't say I'm excited about the politics right now. No, you know, I can't say I'm looking at the environment and going, "This is amazing." Um, I'm excited by the possibility that we might find ways out of all of that. Shit. Got to end on an optimistic note. Yeah. I kind of have this hope that we might reach like the brink, look over and go, come on, we've got to find another way. And then people will come up with very clever ideas to sort it all out. Mm, Actually, my, <laughs> I have a friend uh, who works in video games as well, Andrea Phillips, who wrote a short story a couple of years ago called The Revolution Sponsored by Nike, which is just basically about <laughs> the point at which the politicians have completely failed and the corporations go, actually, it will be really good business for us to get behind revolutionary left-wing politics and try to make the world better. That will just also enable people to feel better about wearing our shoes and so on. And I'm like, it needs something like that, some crazy thing. So I guess I'm hopeful. Yeah. And, and actually, maybe it is going that way slightly. I don't think brands can exist anymore if they're not doing their bit. Yes, I even think a, Even true. a small bit. I think, I think it's true that we feel like we're reaching a crisis and maybe that's a good thing. Mm. And thank God we have books and films and, and art and cinema and theatre to go to while we despair. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully people are out there making brilliant art that will point us in new directions. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. It's this a has joy. Been honestly an honour. It's thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you for having you. me. Thank you.